Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick, Mitch Hotch with you. I hope everyone had a lovely, relaxing Christmas holiday weekend. Uh, we're back in the saddle here for another short week. Of course, markets are closed on Friday again. Uh, but this morning, we got a lot of news for uh, for what is typically one of the slowest weeks of the year. We've got AstraZeneca moving. They're gonna, it looks like they're going to get their COVID vaccine approved over in the UK. We, of course, got news that the stimulus deal was going through last night. Uh, so the reopening trades on this morning. Uh, we've got Bitcoin just absolutely ripping and the quote-unquote Bitcoin stocks ripping with that. So we'll talk all this. The SPACs are moving. Uh, so we got a lot to get to on our show, plus our guests. we got to go in for you. Gordon Johnson. We love Gordon, one of our favorites. He's the founder of GLJ Research. He will join the show at 835 and uh, probably reaffirm his uh, bearish takes on various uh, stocks and his coverage, notably Tesla. Um, and that'll be at 835. Before I throw it to Joel, I want to tell you all, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Show us some love on YouTube. We appreciate that. Uh, Joel, what's the word here overnight? In the green, everything pretty much is in the green here, Spencer. Uh, Holiday weekend, a lot of people were doing not only buying uh, Christmas shopping, but they were buying the S&P futures and Bitcoin. Uh, First, we'll go to the S&P futures. You had a little bit of a lower open, but you know what? Stimulus package, and they bought it right up. We took out the old-time high. At 24, 37.24, that was one week ago, pre-market high, 26.50, that lows way down there at 36.76, that's pretty safe for the day. So we'll keep posting old, new all-time closing high, that's not going to be too hard today, above 12.75. Crude participating up 55 cents, 48.78. Gold in the red by 280 at 1880.40. Silver, that's up 59 cents at 26.50 and a half. Let's just call Bitcoin up four sticks at three uh, 27,660. That's up $3,975. And we are all going to convince Triple D that he needs a Bitcoin cash account because he had nothing to do over the weekend and he would have been in there buying. I could have been trading crypto. My wife wouldn't have appreciated that, though, on my first three-day weekend in forever that I just sat there and traded crypto all weekend. So (laughs) if I get... It's going to be very expensive. I get one of those, come end up with a divorce if I start trading crypto all weekend. (laughs) So we'll we'll stay off the crypto. I obviously own Bitcoin. I, I'm playing the Kramer theme where he always says, own Apple, don't trade it. I own Bitcoin. I don't trade it. 
I don't know anything where it's going in the short term. I just keep saying the story I think continues to be hot in 2021. So I am staying long Bitcoin. I had multiple texts. Are you selling? Are you selling? Everybody, are you selling? Because they know the way I am. You know, I get up, you know, gain really fast. I sell it. I mean, I'm up 60% in this thing in a matter of a month. So, you know, do I sell it? You know, if I was trading it, I would have sold it a long time ago. But trying not to look at it. It's in the retirement account. That's why I went with that QBTC because it's actually in Canada. It was you could put it in your RRSP. That's why I went with that one for that reason. I figured I wouldn't look at my retirement account as much. So I, I've seen I have seen what happens when Dennis becomes a, a, a Bitcoin trader, and I want to grab the screen for a second and show because oh, no. I've seen I've seen the future. Okay. Let's I want to grab the screen. I want to see this. <laughs> where did you get that picture from don't worry about it where I, I is ha- that from I, I have my ways i oh, have like my there's own. something about mary going on with that picture that's I, what a horrible picture i can't believe that shows up here i have my, my i think my wife put it on facebook or something and then it's out everywhere now now it just got seen <laughs> by you thousands of listeners out here that's that, that a crazy yeah that's my something about mary moment it looks like there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's, that's crazy, what, man. That's uh, uh, that's that's when, called uh, not sleeping. That I think that was when we rented the camper and we didn't have you know really showers or anything. You're just like in the camper for three days and no haircuts and COVID times and yeah, that was not pretty. So I, I don't need to see that anymore. Thank you very much, Spencer. And yes, that is what I would look like if I was trading crypto twenty four hours uh, a day, we, seven uh, days a week. We Welcome. got some new signs, uh, Spencer. Um, can you fill us in on we the new signs? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, the newest one from this morning is that one that's to the, uh, I guess, <laughs> left to the right. I don't know. CCP, uh, you know me. Uh, <laughs> and I'll probably take down the Christmas one, right? Because we're after Christmas. So I've got, I've got, I've got a couple more uh, in the hopper here. But I, I like the will the apple cars have windows now. I didn't get that joke right off the bat, but it was yeah, good. that was that was super low hanging. It was good though. I, t- I told that one in my family and uh, they cracked up and then Did they uh, all get it right away. Yeah. Yeah. But full disclosure, I had to tell them that it wasn't my joke, that it was Spencer's joke. For full disclosure. I, it was a good one. It wasn't just my, did I you make I, that up or did you get that from somebody? No, no, no. I thought of that, but still like good. everyone else. That's like a pretty like low hanging fruit joke to, to have. Right. I, I, I saw it on Twitter. I, I saw it on Twitter after I thought of it. So, you know, you know, it was an easy joke if, Everyone else. Uh, Dennis, quickly before we get into the markets, uh, yeah. market structure question for you. Oh, no, it's too early for market structure. Okay, quickly, quickly, quickly. Do you think that the, future, the Bitcoin uh, would be exactly where it is right now if futures traded over the weekend? If Bitcoin futures were still trading over the weekend? Yeah. Yeah, because there's not a lot of volume. I don't think Bitcoin futures drive the price. I don't think it's a driver. I think it's a trailer. Where you know the S and P futures drive price, I don't think Bitcoin's at okay. a point. What's the volume on the Bitcoin futures? Uh, like, what was the volume Thursday? You know, like uh, back. Bu- 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 I mean, it's it, the, the since it started trading last night, it's ten thousand. Uh, it's so small, but yeah. it's a full contract. It's a full contract, so it's like one full Bitcoin you're buying. But I, I don't, I don't think the Bitcoin okay. futures drive the price. I think it's driven by all these other exchanges, and the Bitcoin futures is simply chasing the price around, in my opinion. And that's why it's not the same as the S and P futures, where the S and P futures overnight are a complete driver. First thing to open, you know, at six o'clock on the Sunday, everybody's looking, everybody's trading them. 
Um, so I think that's the difference is that I think the Bitcoin futures, there's just not enough volume to be the driver yet. So that's my okay. A driver, I was just thinking of like an ARB, you know, for any arbitrage for price discovery. But uh, no, the bots I mean, are probably there's probably a lot of bots on the ARB side of that. So, I and people have asked me, why don't you do the ARB? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is tough. some opportunity there. I've never really looked into it again. If I start trading crypto, my hair is going to look like that. My hair already looks bad enough. All right. Well, for Bitcoin, you got to gap up on the chart, but you know, not on your your Coinbase charts. A big old green candle here. Yeah. Uh, there was dips in there too to buy. I know there was because I I was watching it a little bit. But uh, let's just keep your high twenty seven eight ten. And it's funny. Did you get a um a holiday message? You know, you know our buddy James uh, Putra, Putra. Yeah. Did you get a holiday message from him? I did not. I don't. If I did. I, I didn't see it. If I did, I didn't see it. it so said, he likes you better. From, I guess from so, Trade Station. I mean, let's not be surprised. Um, you also subscribe to Trade Station. Okay. I do not. That probably he, helps. He said, uh, "You know, happy holidays. Um, a nice present would be Bitcoin thirty k." And this was on Thursday. I was tweeting her out. It, it looked like it was going to try to get there. It was going up $1,000 every five hours there on the weekend for a while. It got to 28000 though, and then they pulled the rug out from under it just temporarily there. And it actually... Right back up there. It's right back yeah, it went up right there. back. Came right back up. So, and by the dip, wins again. We went from 28000 down to the 25000 handle there yesterday, early morning, and uh, came right back. So, by the dip. All right, Spencer, SPACs, Bitcoin stocks, BABA, reopening stocks. Where are we going? To talk about. I, I just want to mention these these Bitcoin stocks uh, quickly because they are they are the ones that are atop your leaderboard here this morning. You got yep. uh, Mara, Marathon yep. Capital. You got Riot Blockchain. Yep. You've got uh, BTBT is running. Uh, that's Bit Digital. Wow. Uh, you've got what else do I see? MSTR. MSTR is running. Uh, MAGS Mags is is that 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 may be also a. Do you think that's Bitcoin? That's not. No, that's not. No, I, uh, I was just writing that one down because I was like, I didn't know that was Bitcoin. I'm writing it down. I'll take that one off. <laughs> uh, you've got, you know, like you know, like EQOS for example, uh, Diginex. That's. That's a, I mean, you have Square and PayPal bouncing here too. That, so, right, them too. They're, they're indirect plays, but they we know they've been getting in the run because of the Bitcoin love. Um, Square had an ugly day on Friday. Just if we want to talk a stock here for a second, um, sure. Square. Actually, I'm losing track of days because of the holiday. The ugly day was actually Wednesday and Thursday. Trying and was Ooh, bouncing around. Look at that. Yeah, it was interesting on Wednesday morning, they actually had a huge sell and balance and they opened it late. They were trying to get it open. Sometimes they can't get these things open at 930. And it was two, three minutes late. So then everybody, I even had an order to buy. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I pulled my buy order on Square to buy the open because the S&P features were way up and then Square was opening down. And I'm like, uh, you know, usually that's a, a natural herb where you can maybe make some money, but it took so long to open. I was like, there's too many people I've looked at this now. So I'm like, this is going to be crowded and this could actually tank off the open. And sure enough, it opened at the high tick. So I pulled my OPG order just in time. And then the stock opened and they puked it. And they puked it all day. They screwed everybody who bought that on the open. The OPG traders, we call them opening only orders. And if you look in that first bar, it went straight down. There's no, the, the reason for that is completely that the OPG uh, traders were buying the open and they pulled the rug out from under them. And I would have been in that. The unnatural herb was to buy that open, and they took it down the other way. So 
Um, you got to be careful sometimes just buying below fair value. It doesn't always work. And tech was kind of starting to roll over already. So um, they open the stock late. A lot of times then there's too many people looking at it and then it gets crowded and there was too many people that came in to buy it and then they pulled the rug out. So now it gets the bounce. It's bouncing a bit. Is the square story over? Probably not. Is the square story due to cool off? I think so. I would actually think if I was a trader, I'd be a seller of this rally in square this morning because we're a little bit heavy. Tech's a little bit, you know, they're, they're going into the SPACs. They're going into the reopening. Square is getting some love because of the Bitcoin move, but I think it's getting dragged up with that. I don't think Square is going to keep ripping higher, at least in the short term here. So my opinion is sell this rally in Square. Short term, short term. If you want to sell on weakness as opposed to strength here, 238. I mean, kick me aside the head here. Your last three daily lows, 3809, 3833, and 3809. So it's up five bucks though now. So this morning, so you're you're saying, you know, if it pulls back down there to sell it or you would sell this open? Both. Both. So you get the nice pop. I I think like I don't know, like if all this Bitcoin, you know, obviously it had a huge move and you're seeing some big runs in in the individual stocks that we already talked about, like the mares and the riots and the MSTRs. I, I feel like it's a little bit of a profit-taking opportunity for some of these, especially the Square on the PayPal, because they were already wanting to roll over. Now they get this Bitcoin pop, and it's like, oh, that's going to get some people out. But, you know, we could be wrong. If they make new highs, and PayPal hasn't far from all-time highs, I don't short stocks making new all-time highs. So I would rather that it starts to give it back than opposed oh, yeah. to just trying okay. to play the open. I, I agree with that one. Um, Andre Noble here, uh, new to the chat. Do you guys think... Banks will squash the mini rally in Bitcoin when the market opens. I I don't really think so. Do you think so? I don't. I don't, I don't know think, how, I don't how active Bitcoin, are the banks. To, how people, active are the banks? I I just think people are. Um, a lot of people believe that Bitcoin is coming out and it's going to replace the financial system, and this is going to be what we're going to transact in. I I don't believe that. I'm long Bitcoin for speculation. I'm not long Bitcoin and for the story aspect of it, because it's a good story, but I do not believe I want to be just clear here. I am not a supporter of the theory that we're all going to be transacting in Bitcoin and Bitcoin is going to be the future. And, you know, the dollars are going to be worthless. All assets relative to the U S dollar are inflating right now. I mean, you know, you see even getting away, like we know real estate has been, but stocks, you know, is an obvious case. But then you can even go as far as, you know, looking at collectibles. The collectible market has been so hot because people are just not wanting to be in U.S. dollars that are obviously getting printed like crazy. So they're moving into hard assets. And Bitcoin is seen as a hard asset. Is it really? I don't know. But I think the story is still there. But the only reason I'm long Bitcoin is for the story. Because I think that people are going to continue to talk about it. And that is going to continue to drive demand. As I just turned to my CNBC screen, it's on CNBC right now. So until I start to see this story take a significant cool, and maybe it's going to be regulation that cools it off, that could happen. But I don't think that's coming in the next little, little bit here. So I stay bullish Bitcoin only for that reason. Ah, uh, boy, oh boy! I no, I, I the banks being involved in it is one thing. Oh, I wanted to give one one bear, somewhat bearish indicator. You remember when I talked about the uh, the gas station that had the Bitcoin machine? 
Remember yes. that? And I thought it was bullish. APM, yeah. Yeah, it's not there anymore. <laughs> Hold it. So if I use that as my buy signal, then I should be using it as a sell signal. Another $5 tip here. We got, man, someone must have got some uh, money for uh, for the holidays here. Uh, asking about NRGU. Right. So I, and maybe we can just talk about oil stocks in, in general because NRGU okay. is, and you can pull the chart up, but it's just a way to play oil. It's it's a leveraged ETN that holds three, uh, holds the 10, the 10 largest U.S oil stocks so exxon chevron it's triple levered you know <laughs> yeah so it's triple levered so yeah. really energy year is really a commentary on where you think oil is going to go you think oil is going to go all up. these things spencer are just a way to get around margin requirements like i can't believe the you know regulators actually allow this stuff because here they are they're very strict with margin limits in you know certain accounts and obviously retail are- margin limits and then they'll let people come into triple levered stuff do, do they limit, like, if you got 10000 bucks, can you buy $10,000 worth of the triple? I don't know, because I'm not in a retail account. Is that the case? Can you buy, you know, not only $10,000 worth? You can obviously buy $10,000 worth of it, but can you buy $20,000 worth of the $10,000 triple levered NRGU? Can somebody answer that in the chat? Because I, I, I've, I've, for years, I've not understood why they even allow these products to have. To, to because, you know... They can. I mean, you use some of them. You you use the, the ones for 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 Fang. I thought so. People who know how to use them can use them correctly. It's a question of does everyone know what they're doing and know how leverage ETNs actually work? For example, they they're 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 unsecured debt obligations, right? So they're they're really more like bonds in, in a sense, but they are leveraged and they're reset daily. Um, but on that margin thing, I just saw a stat this morning and I can't find it now. That there is a record amount of money on margin right now. Uh, gosh, where can I find that stat? It's somewhere in the email. Um, while, was- while you're covering that, I, I looked at the chart of that thing, and you know, obviously, if it's pegged to oil, I'm right. not going to really give you big numbers on on the uh, on the NRGU because it's going to follow oil. And the high of the move's been 49.43. It was backed up by a 49.31 high. So there's your there's your major resistance if you want this thing to go back to wherever it was seventy bucks and then high close of the move right there forty nine twenty four you just have to think that if they brought oil this far in this rally in this environment they're not going to take it to fifty bucks I mean I don't know how what course of it's going to go up and down and zig and zag but that's a big number and they just got a feeling you know. They're just going to squeeze people are shorted up there. So keep it out. You want, you want crew to keep on going. You want it to clear that, that double top, you know, kiss 50. If not, it's just kind of, just kind of creeping up here. It's a good support at 47 and a half. So use that to trade your NRGU. It's uh cause that's going to be the leader for it. Right here right. we go. I found it. It's from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and they're setting that da- setting data from FINRA. So FINRA says, that investors borrowed a record $722 billion against their portfolios through November, topping the previous record of $668 billion, well, about $669 billion all scary. In, in May of 2018. Yeah, that's um, all scary. It makes me bearish when I hear stuff like that. But yeah. So that's all scary. But again, just going back to this triple levered thing, is there any purpose to these other than to, you know, 
get three times exposure? Is there any other purpose? Because this looks to me like all these triple levered products are just a way to get around margin requirements. And I don't understand why that's allowed. I, I honestly don't. I haven't from the beginning. So I do trade some of these things. I like them as trading vehicles. Professionals can trade them. Retail can trade them too. But I'm just saying, if you've got somebody with a $10,000 account and they're throwing, you know, margined up $20,000 worth of energy you in there, and I'm not sure, again, I don't know if you can, if it, I guess it depends on your broker, but if you can put on, you know, two times, you know, what that you're, you're levered. And then, so you're actually six times levered on your account. I mean, if you're six times, then you think about that, you get a little, you know, 18% pullback, you're, you lose your account. It's so, a monthly chart on that, Dennis. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they all look the same. They all that was eleven hundred bucks. Yeah, I know. It right, just got right. destroyed because it was triple levered, and then oil went down, and they can and they continue to just get dinged. We know these triple levered right. products. Okay, so when they start line, going down, they get hammered. Bottom line on all these leverage products, whether it's a bullish product or bearish product, these are not long term blind hold instruments. No. It says three times levered. That's for a specific day. That's for a yes. given day. That's yes. not that, and it resets daily. And so if you just tr trust me in that these are not long-term investments at the most they should be held for like a swing trade at the most if you are disciplined they're and day trading vehicles daily daily rebalancing right 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 they aren't designed to be held for more than one day so people think that if they buy the triple levered oil and if oil goes up 50 percent next year i'm going to make 150 percent and that does not happen because it's about the path that it takes because they're daily rebalanced. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you always are buying high because these things have to rebalance. What they in essence have to do is if oil's up, they have to basically, they do it through swaps, but they have to basically buy more on the days that it's up and sell more on the days that it's down. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is over time, they're always buying high and selling low. Those products are actually doing the exact opposite. Of what we preach on this show by buying the dip and selling the rip, they are always buying the rip and selling the dip. And that is why they, they usually outperform over the long term. And if you look at NRGU or, you know, USO is a great example too. Yeah, we can versus, just do that. We but can USO just... isn't triple levered. Um, that's just, you Correct. know, that's got that. The USO is a different, you know, product because we're talking contango <laughs> over there and you've got that, the cost of carry that is baked into that because it's not free to store oil. I mean, we were talking, you know, jokingly when it went negative, we we're going to dump all the water out of our swimming pool and put oil into it because it's very expensive to store it. And that's why the USO continues to deteriorate over time because it's trying to hold, you know, it's not holding the physical barrel. So it has to continue to roll over the contracts. They used to do it month to month. They've you know, changed that because it was just eroding capital so quickly that now they go out a little bit further. But in any essence that they can't take physical storage of oil. So they've always got to roll it. So they're always losing on the rolls. And that's why it continues to underperform over time so i've always said if you want to invest in oil invest in the oil stocks because the, it doesn't cost any money to have the oil in the ground and then they pull it out of the ground and they get rid of it uso is the opposite of that they're always going to get burned on the rolls so you know your oil can be up 10 20 percent year over year and uso is likely to underperform it substantially it might not even be up so again uso is fun to day trade but you, i would not have this in my long-term portfolio uh, we should bring Luke on if things get a little bit slower because he did he he did buy the USO. Remember when um, I think when we had him on the afternoon show a little bit, and then that was before it went negative, and then it had um, and then it had a reverse split. But if you just it hasn't even doubled off the uh, off the um, April low, 
And whereas, you know, crude oil, I don't know what you, I mean, I use 10 bucks as the real low. I don't go with that artificial low. That no, it, the negative yeah. thing was just BS. Yeah, yeah. So it you happened, look at that, but... you know, that's up, that's a lot more than doubled off the low. Um, on the and month, the USO yeah. is only doubled off the low? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yep. so it's massively underperformed. Yeah, so if you use $10 as a low, where are we on crude right now? 48 and a half. Yeah, so you're up four times and USO is only doubled massive underperformance you're in the wrong vehicle but you're when you're investing in oil for you know the rally the uso is not the vehicle to use i mean if you were looking you know at some of these other oil stocks and obviously exxon mobile you could say oh it's the same it hasn't you know but it doesn't go down as much either because it's you know more conservative play but there's a lot of these little oil companies that have you know done substantially better i mean you could look at a rig and obviously we all thought rig was going out of business 65 cents to two dollars and 20 cents i mean if you wanted to make that bet that oil was coming back substantially, the little oil companies is probably going to benefit the most out of, you know, but, but just going with USO blindly. And this is what you see newer traders do all the time. Like, Oh, I'm just going to buy USO and no, I can hold this forever. I know oil is eventually going to be a hundred dollars again. Well, it depends how long it takes to get it there because you know, over time and somebody's in chat very, you know, right saying it only works in backwardation. Backwardation is rare where you've got the front month, you know, and it's all about the, you know, the rollover, we're talking, you know, they have to roll the contracts and they were doing it month to month, but they're not doing it as often. And then, yeah, and they then they, they switched out of that. You know, they, 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 they were, were trying to do everything because it was just changed, burning them. They changed, were like they were, eroding the capital so quickly. They changed the rules on the fly. That's how crazy. <laughs> you got to love that. They changed the whole, yeah, the, from the perspectives. <laughs> they had to like to amend it quickly because they was trying to like this negative thing was killing them. Mm-hmm. So the, the negative oil was like, holy crap, we're selling, you know, negative and they have to go buy positive. I mean, that's why they had to get out of that. And they're obviously, you know, trying to restructure it. But the whole products are structured, you know, even the, just this, this idea of having to buy and roll it all the time. You've got the cost of carry. They are always the victim of the cost of storing the oil. They are the victim of that. Is oil going to go, you know, the cost of carry going to go negative? It can at times. But for the most part, it's usually in contango where the front month is worth more than the, than the current month. And so you're always buying it. You're selling the, that current month so you don't take physical delivery. And mm-hmm. then you're buying a more expensive month to keep the same exposure. And you're always losing a little bit of oil in that way because you're not going to be able to buy as many barrels when you're selling at a less price and then buying it ahead. Leaking, that's why yep. it deteriorates over time. It's a good day trading vehicle, but that's it, in my opinion. Dennis, you're complaining about uh, the the regulatory rules in the U.S. This is this is uh, J.B. Betts just pop this in on, on the, the, the dot com chat there are some etfs in Finland that offer and i don't know if this is right but he's saying nine times leverage qqq i maybe he's being he's exactly he right. might be right we but, don't, uh, i don't know what's in these other we, countries other countries are, are a lot more lenient than, than yeah. the, US in terms of what the whole thing with oil too i mean you know since everyone what going to be driving electric cars right so what the right. primary use of oil is so i like i see a new that's gas why i station. hate oil long term that's why i see a gas station you know a new one going up around here i feel like you know saying like what do you do unless unless there may be electric charging stations that people they're putting in but I, i've seen on a couple you know heavily you know traveled areas you know, it looks like a new gas station going or remodeling it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'd put an electric, you know, get a, get a, uh, what are those electric charging stations? Who are they? Like BLNK, a couple of the companies to do that. If we're really going. Well, Tesla's so full, doing the most. 
I mean, yeah. out of the electric charging stations, it's Tesla's you see everywhere. They, the infrastructure that they've put in place. I mean, that's why you could say that Tesla's way ahead of everyone else. Because I don't know. Are you going to be able to put your you know, EV vehicle that isn't a Tesla? Are you going to be able to recharge that at a Tesla station? I have no idea. At a cost? I, I don't I don't have the answer to that question. I don't know. Nope. But I'll tell you, when I look at, you know, the charging stations, they're all Tesla around here. Like Tesla's, you know, right on there. So if that's only for charging Teslas, that's why maybe, okay, well, I'm going to go buy another EV. This is a good argument for Tesla. I'm going to go buy another, you know, EV car. Where am I charging it up? Because I can I go to the Tesla supercharge station or do they charge me a ridiculous premium because it's not a Tesla or do they not allow me? Does it not fit? Like, does that, you know, pump not work in there? I don't have the answer to this question because I don't have an EV car. So maybe somebody in the chat knows, but I see these Tesla charging stations everywhere. I don't see normal EV charging stations in that many places. Obviously, you can plug it in at your house, but in you're on a long road trip, how does that work? Can you go to those Tesla charging stations like with a non-Tesla vehicle? Well, let's let's wait and talk about that with our guest at A35. But let's talk about Alibaba for a second. So somehow we've gotten a half hour and not mentioned Alibaba. They uh, are pulling out the stops here this morning. They announced a buyback, which is what you do when you want people to uh, maybe distract from <laughs> distract people from what's going on in the headlines. Uh, they they increased their buyback program to $10 billion from $6 billion. Um, typically, this is seen as a as a as something you do to, to maybe juice your stock price. Uh, it is not happening here this morning. I mean, I, 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 okay, so I, I had the question. You knew I was nervous. And this is 3.35, 2.35 in the pre-market on Thursday, losing track of days here over the Christmas holiday. You knew I was nervous. I gave the reason I was nervous because I don't know what the regulator is going to do this company. So are they, you know, to, could they potentially arrest Jack Ma? It could do anything over there. Anything can happen. Kara Feinerman had a great tweet too. She was saying the same stuff that I've been saying. I, I'm nervous because this is a huge unknown. We don't see a lot of Chinese regulation. So they're coming and hammering a stock because they, you know, are, they're pissed off at Jack Ma. And how far do they carry it? Can he get out? Can he get back in favor with the regulators? That's the question. It's not a question whether this is a good business or whether it's cheap or whether any of that. I mean, yeah, Alibaba is cheap. Yeah, it, it's a great business. But what if they come in and just take it to an extreme and start, you know, curtailing stuff or even shutting it down? I mean, they can do anything over there. They can do anything in China. So I, I, I think they're still out to get them. And until I see, you know, some type of concessions, like something, and it looks like, you know, they're, they're talking about the Ant Financial, that they're going to comply and do whatever they can with regulators. But they control these companies over here. It's a much different than being in North America where, you know, Google gets antitrust looking at them and they don't even care. Um, here, it's a big difference. They're not antitrust, but, but looking at, you know, from, you know, um, from a, the monopolistic perspective. But I, I'm scared. I'm scared to own Alibaba. I sold half of my shares on Thursday. I've had it for a long time. I've had it for years. I sold half of it on Thursday in the hole, sold the dip because I'm like, I don't know what happens here. What if they come out and they say, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to do, you know, some type of serious regulation where they're not going to be able to sell as much stuff, you know, or curtailing the revenues in different ways. There's so many things that could happen here. So many unknowns. What's the likely scenario? What you were saying, maybe they, you know, maybe Jack Ma, they get back in favor and maybe, you know, the stock eventually bounces back. But I don't know that for sure. I'm definitely not adding to my position. I sold half because I don't know what to do. I seriously don't know what to do. So I sold half. Somebody said sell half. And that's what, exactly what I did. 
I sold half. I, I'm I very I, nervous. I, didn't I say that? I may have said that. There, you may have said that. There was multiple people in the chat that said it too. And I was like, you know what? That's maybe the play. Sell half because I don't know what to do. Um, I, I, I think the company is cheap here. Yes. But it's not cheap if the regulators come and start hammering them or even potentially shut them down. So I don't think they're going to do that. But I don't know that they're not going to do that. And that's why it's just not a slam dunk to buy it. If this was happening over here, I would say, yeah, I'm backing up the truck and to buy an Alibaba. But di different ball game over there. They don't even have, think about the regulation, Joel, like in Spencer, like that we don't even have a history of, you know, what this happens because they don't usually hammer on companies like this. Yeah, we so, have no, there's no precedent. That's true. That's, there's no precedence for this. So I have no idea. All I know is the unknowns here makes me nervous and i you know like i said i'm in from alibaba i think i bought it 151 dollars and i think i bought it a, a while ago like a couple of years it was a while. Ago. it hasn't been 151 in a long time i, I think in, in in late 2018 early 2019 so i've been in it for a couple of years and you know i'm disappointed obviously but at the same time i'm like i don't know if they don't come out and you know put some charges or something and this stock gets hammered for another 30 or 40 dollars that could happen too so I don't want to see my gain go all go away. At the same time, I, I don't know if I want to sell it all because this could just, you know, the, the, the Jack Mock need the news flow to turn around. The yeah, you need the news flow. It's to all turn the news around. flow. Yeah, yeah. Here and I, 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 this was uh my stock of the day on uh, Thursday. This is when they suspended the Ant Group IPO, right here. And then I didn't, I didn't even, I wasn't following this closely, but they hammered this thing on Singles Day. You know, it was obviously yeah. the 10th for us, the 11th over there. And then it just kind of moseyed its way back up. And then we talked about it technically, you know, just hanging out at the low of the move. Right. And then you get the news overnight. Tough call here now. I would say I don't think you can really you got to wait for the news flow to change. And I think I would maybe tr rather buy this, you know, above, you know, the high from Friday, 29.90 than just trying to take a stab here. I think this low, 11.23, I think you're going to see people wiggle in trying to buy ahead of that low. In fact, you got down in the pre-market to uh, uh, to 13.20, and it got a good bounce. So big volume on Friday, uh, Thursday. I mean, people like you, Dennis, people were just like, I'm done. I'm done. It traded $140 million and it averages between 10 and $12 million. So Big investors were just saying, I'm done. I, you, I, there's too much known here. I'm out. I'm done with Alibaba until I get more clarity. Normally, 90% of the time, I would say that's the buying event. That's the capitulation. Everybody says, I got to get out and, you know, all the pains in the trade. And that's it. But in this case, it's just a different animal because we don't know what is going to happen. You can't take the company's fundamentals and look at them right now. It's nothing about the company's fundamentals. It's all about Jack Ma pissing off the regulators and how much damage are they going to do to the company um, before you know they come to an agreement. So that's the unknown. And and if, you know maybe the regulators like we we just it's one or the other. You know they're gonna they're gonna say okay yeah we've come to an agreement. Jack Ma's back in the favor and, and he's back being in the good camp here with the regulators and you know the company's going to be allowed to continue as it is or jack ma is going to fight a bit and the regulator is going to win if it, it's the case you know you're not going to beat china regulators here and the stock's going to continue to get hammered so i mean that's what's all about it's not about alibaba right now it's about jack ma 
right. just ha- just hanging up here. Oh, we got our guest. Is, uh, right. Joel, Joel, go ahead. What were you going to say? I'm just saying we're just hanging out here, uh, comfortably just near the highs of the session. Uh, 27, 37, 22 up 27 handles right near that pre-market high. So no, no backing off yet as we speak. And, uh, that's about it. Bitcoin just hanging up near the high, uh, up $4,060, 27,745. We could see that 30 pretty soon. All right. Uh, we got, we got our, our guest now. Yep. I can't see him, but I know we can hear him. Gordon Johnson from GLJ research, uh, Gordon, Merry Christmas. Good morning. Hey guys, can you hear me? We can hear you. Yep, we can't see you, but we can hear you, and that is enough for us. Uh, Gordon, do you have thoughts on uh, the regulatory landscape potentially changing in China and what that can mean for any of the uh, industries that you focus on? I know you know you're, you're big on solar. Yes, yeah, so I think that the crackdown on Baba, uh, the defaults that China has let happen this year. Um, it what seems like um, is um, increased scrutiny um, around, um, you know, regulatory issues, um, I think has, you know, negative implications for, you know, some of the solar sector stocks we cover, specifically Jinko and Daku. Um, I'm sorry, Jinko. We, we don't cover Daku, but Jinko and Daku have been particularly weak this year. I'm sorry, particularly strong rather this year, very strong this year. Um, but over the past few days, they've sold off. And if you look at um, Trina Solar, um, JA Solar, and Longi, which all trade on the Chinese stock exchange, you've seen some selling pressure overnight in those stocks as well. So I think if you get a tech sector sell-off in China due to um, heavy scrutiny and China's unwillingness to let anybody grow to too large of a, an extent, um, there's some suggesting that... Uh, you know, uh, China, the Chinese government could go as far as forcing um, uh, Baba to, to return Ant back to shareholders. Um, uh, you know, I think you'll get, you know, uh, you know, pressure in some of the other quote unquote tech companies and specific to the ones we cover, that would be the solar companies. Yeah. Uh, and then, so on solar here, maybe let's go to solar, then we can pivot uh, to other areas of your coverage afterwards. But uh, it's been a very good year, as you mentioned, uh, Gordon, uh, for solar, just look at the TAN ETF, which is one of your leaders, one of your best performing ETFs of the year. What what is what is driving this rally here? Is anything fundamental? No, in fact, the fundamentals for solar have been pretty horrendous this year. Um, you know, Jinko. Uh, if you just look at like Jinko, Solar, Canadian Solar, you look at Solar Edge. These are three stocks that have been extremely strong. Um, their earnings trajectory has turned significantly downward. However, I think what's driven the rally in solar um, is, is three-pronged. Uh, number one, the strength in Tesla shares. And I think a lot of retail investors speculating in other areas that are similar to Tesla. Um, not that they're really similar, but you know, people look at Tesla as a renewable play. Um, so you've had a significant amount of speculation in renewable stocks. And I think that that's why you have some strength in the TAN index. Number two um, is ESG flows. Um, uh, you know, environment, social, and government governance, you know, funds, uh, money flowing into everything that's seen as renewable. Um, and as you know, the Fed is printing literally $4 billion a day, which it's, it's indirectly dumping dir- directly into the stock market. Um, so there's a perpetual um, thirst of money looking for new investment. And I think that 
you know, these the, the creation of all these ESG funds has, you know, created fund inflows into solar start stocks, irregardless of fundamentals. Fundamentals just don't matter right now. Um, and then I think number three is, you know, Biden winning the nomination and the assumption that you're going to get a Green New Deal, which we can go into why we think that's completely false, why we think it's, you know, less than a 5% probability, despite the fact that we think, not the fact that, despite our view that the market thinks that's more of like a 70 to 80% probability, um, as well as, you know, perpetual comments from our peers um, with respect to China. You know, Xi Jinping came out with, you know, targets for 2030 and 2060, where he says by 2030, you know, their carbon emissions will peak. And by 2060, there won't be any more carbon emissions in China. Um, you know, Xi Jinping has notorious, notoriously fallen far short of all of his renewable goals. But my point is this. In 2020, you had a situation where you had fundamentals collapsing, but people are looking to the future. And because you have money searching for, you know, stocks, essentially, um, you know, you had solar stories uh, that I think pushed money into the stocks, irregardless of the fundamentals. I think in 2021, you're going to have to see some fundamental uh, uh, performance. And I think that's where you may see disappointment. We're on the line with Gordon Johnson from GL. Research. Uh, what about the move here in the steel sector, U.S. steel in particular? Uh, wow, you almost got to 20 bucks, uh, pulled back $5 low during the financial crisis. Quite a run in uh, U.S. steel here. I guess anticipation of uh, a lot of building going on once we come out of this uh, pandemic, uh, you know, in full force. Talk about the rally and uh, perhaps uh, the future course of U.S. Steel and uh, other steel makers. Sure. So we upgraded U.S. Steel to buy actually around $12 um, with a 17, I think just over $17 price target. Um, and we upgraded Cliff to, to buy, I think around 8 or $9 with, I think around a $14 price target. Um, so here, here's what's happening in the still space. And we're still bullish still. Um, effectively, you had Cleveland Cliffs buy its, its customers. Um, Cleveland Cliffs bought ArcelorMittal US and brought AKS. Um, so now you effectively have a duopoly in the still market. And as a result of those purchases, you have one guy controlling quite a bit of still capacity in, in Cleveland Cliffs. And they've kept that capacity um, effectively um, idled a lot of the capacity at, um, you know, these two steel mills idled. Um, so as a result, you have a shortage of steel in the United States. Against that backdrop, you also have massive strength um, in steel demand in China. So you've seen, and, and that's due to China's, you know, big stimulus. When China stimulates, it goes towards mainly one thing that's building, you know, empty office buildings to the sky um, in homes that nobody's buying to the sky. Um, uh, it, but that, that demands a lot of steel. So you have crude steel production in China looking to be over um, uh, a million tons, um, uh, which is way above what most people expected, particularly in a pandemic. So steel prices in China have been strong. The point is, U.S. steel prices were very weak. They're around $400 per ton. They're now about $1,000 per ton. The problem is steel prices in China are very strong. So mills in China aren't incentivized to export their steel outside of China. They don't export directly into the US, but when they export into Europe and other countries, that causes those mills to export more into the US. So if things are going well in China, things go well globally. So you have 
a lack of still availability in the U.S. exacerbated by limited imports due to strength in Chinese steel prices, which has caused a massive increase. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about over the past few months, steel prices in the U.S. have gone from 400 to over 1,000 uh, of steel prices in the U.S. and optimism in the steel stocks. And based on our checks, you're not really going to get any import uh, relief in the U.S., until late 1Q at the earliest. So we think this run in steel prices in the U.S., which clearly isn't sustainable, but could be sustainable a lot longer than people expect, still has legs to go. So uh, we think this run has legs. So, you know, we, we're still quite bullish, actually, um, on the steel stocks, U.S. steel and Cleveland Cliffs, both of which we have a buy rating on. So that was my question was, which one is going to be X, CLF, and any more, or just those two in particular? Well, we also recently upgraded Fortescue to buy, and that's due to iron ore prices being extremely strong. Now, you know, iron ore prices have traded off over the past few days. The Chinese government stepped in and further cut um, uh, the lots with which you can bet or speculate in the iron ore market. Uh, but the reality is, in our view, um, you know, strength in China is just too, too robust right now. And the seasonally strong period for iron ore in China goes through March. So we think iron ore prices in China are going to continue to have a t- or iron ore prices overall are going to continue to have a tailwind um, due to strong demand in China. Um, uh, and, you know, we're looking at the monsoon season in, 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 um, in Australia right now where you're going to get some disruptions. Um, and you've had some issues at Vale with respect to, you know, dam issues, potentially uh, further issues with respect to, um, you know, the, the big problem they had before. Uh, the catastrophe they had before. So we think our oil prices still are going to have a bid to the upside, despite China's efforts to temper uh, prices downward. So we're still, we're, we're actually bullish uh, Fortescue as well. We'd be long that stock as well. We have a buy rating there. Yeah. Uh, FSUGY is that ticker that trades uh, OTC markets. All right, Gordon, let's get to the elephant in the room. Uh, Tesla, you've been bearish this all the way up. A lot of that, is a lot of that analysis is just stemmed from a fundamental point of view on the stock, looking at the company's balance sheets. Tesla clearly does not trade based on fundamentals. Um, I mean, are you changing your thesis at all? Because it's it's coming an awfully long way this year. Right. But, you know, one thing I'll, I'll note is over the past year, even the consensus estimates for Tesla – for you know, 2020, 2022, and 2023 have come down. Look, Tesla is not attached to reality. It's not trading on facts. It's not trading on fundamentals. I believe we're in a EV bubble. It's not just Tesla. It's Neo and every other EV stock <coughs> that has you know rallied massively. But the reality is, never in history has a has a stock detached from facts and stayed that way. Eventually, facts matter again. Um, and you know, I think there's a few things, right? If you look at what's happening in Europe and China, right, when competition has entered, competition entered Europe at the beginning of this year. Tesla's market shares went from 33% to just over 10%. They've lost significant market share. That has nothing to do with the pandemic. People are just buying other cars. If you look at VW, right, Volkswagen, Norway, Netherlands, Spain, the reason why we use those three markets is because they report registrations daily. They're the only markets in the world that do that. The VW ID3 is outselling the Model 3 in Q4 by nearly three times. They've sold nearly three times more ID4s, ID3s and ID4s than Model 3s have sold in 
in um in in, in the fourth quarter. That it's fair to say they're crushing Tesla. Um, if you go to the Chinese market, Tesla's market share peaked at twenty five percent this year. It's now twelve point five percent, nearly you know cutting more than half or roughly half. Um, so competition has arrived in China. Tesla's getting crushed there. If you look at recent reports in China, right? And in China, keep in mind, we're talking about a communist country where everything is managed um, that's reported by the communist you know, government. There was a report that came out over the weekend that Tesla's putting in defective parts. It's alleging, rather, that Tesla's putting in defective parts. This is a report that came out over the weekend into their Chinese cars. There's been a number of other reports that have come out that have alleged you know, defects in the cars that Tesla's producing in China. It looks like China is highlighting a lot of the things that have been alleged in the U.S., but the NHTSA and the NTSB hasn't, hasn't looked into. My point is this. The stock price is detached from reality. A lot of people have all their savings into Tesla stock, but you got to know what you, earn, what you own because at some point, right, keep in mind, over the you know, 30 quarters, roughly, Tesla has been a public company, excluding credit sales. They've only been profitable in four of those quarters, the most recent of which was 3Q. 19. Um, and those credit sales drop significantly next year and go away, we believe, altogether in 2022 because everybody's selling electric vehicles. Let's take a step back, right? Look, one of the telltale signs of Bernie Madoff's fraud was impossibly consistent returns. And we're not alleging that Tesla's committing fraud at all. That's not what we're alleging. That's not what we're saying. But if you think about it, right, Tesla has cut the prices on its cars significantly this year. And a lot of the Tesla bulls argue um, uh, they cut prices to match um, uh, to, to make demand match supply. But any company that does that sees margins fluctuate significantly. Tesla hasn't seen that. So another argument is Tesla's cutting the prices to match costs. But any company that does that sees their inventory and backlog fluctuate significantly. If you cut prices to match costs, right? your inventory should collapse. Tesla had the second highest inventory ever in, Q, in Q3 of 2020. So we believe what's happening is they're using um, uh, uh, you know, these 100% regulatory credits, the bulk of which more recently have been recognized, we believe before they've actually sold them or before you know, FCA has actually purchased them. Um, we're getting into the weeds here, but the point is they're using these regulatory credits and this FSD um, revenue, keep in mind, they're recognizing revenue on full self-drive. Full self-drive does not exist. So people are buying a product that doesn't exist, vaporware. There's, there's potential that you could have uh, regulators come down on them for that. And with their S&P inclusion, a lot of these things are going to be more scrutinized, i.e., does this company make money selling cars? The answer, excluding regulatory credits, which Tesla itself says are one time, is no. All right, so, the, 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 so, Glenn, yeah. so what would it take then? What would it take? And I know I've asked you this question before, so I'll ask it again. What would it take for you to change your mind? What would it take for me to change my mind uh, for Tesla? Look, when you say change my mind, even on consensus numbers next year, right? 2022 consensus numbers, Tesla's trading at 100 times earnings, right? The, the auto industry on average trades at five to six times. So Tesla has a problem with respect to, number one, they need to show me they can, they can profitably make cars, but their profit needs to grow exponentially to justify the market. And the other thing, so that's number one. The other thing, number two, is, you know, everybody says Tesla has a technological advantage, but the reality is, you know, they just announced over the weekend 
that they're uh what is it the ford 4620 batteries they're actually panasonic is making them the idea was that you know they were gonna they had a, a battery day that suggested they were gonna you know produce these batteries and that they had some kind of special technology they were gonna put into these batteries and now it comes out that actually panasonic is making them so the the, the, the point is number one we think there's a lot of myths and misconceptions in the stock that are going to bear out in 2021, right? In 2021, either their sales are going to grow significantly and they're going to show significant and profit improvement or they're not. Um, and, 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 and so what would make me turn more bullish? Well, their earnings start to grow exponentially to justify their current multiple, number one. Number two, um, if they start to gain back share in Europe or China or their U.S. sales pick up significantly, all of those things of which we think are not going to happen. Um, and I think number three is, you know, what does this company look like excluding regulatory credit sales uh, with respect to profitability, i.e. can you make electric vehicles being Tesla profitably? Look, again, we think it's in a bubble. We think that a lot of people own this stock because the stock price keeps going up. When you take a, you take a step back from that and you simply look at the fundamentals, the fundamentals for Tesla are not improving. Um, they're getting worse. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, they need to show improvement on for us to get more positive. Gordon, before I let you go, why do you think the that that this stock in particular has such a feverish fan base? Even before this year, where this has always been a a stock that you either you either hated it or you loved it. There was really very little middle ground, and that's been magnified, in, of course, in twenty twenty. What 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 is it? Do you think about this company, about this stock that? that the bulls just love so much, more than any other stock out there, it seems. Well, I think it's because, you know, you have a CEO who's willing to make very aggressive promises um, perpetually. Uh, you know, like, again, you know, they had a battery day where they introduced a battery that they were supposed to have, you know, uh, they were supposed to be making. And, we, and all the bears were, all the bears said, you know, Tesla's going to buy this battery from someone else. And everybody else said, no, they're making the battery right now. They're producing it right now. That's completely not true uh, based on everything we know um, as of right now. Panasonic makes the battery and Tesla buys the battery from them. But you have a CEO who's willing to say, you know, like, for instance, two years ago, right, in 2018, Elon Musk said, in 2020, we're going to be at, we're going to produce around 750 to a million cars, at least 750 but we'll get to a million cars. Over the weekend, he put out a tweet saying, if we push hard, we'll get to 500,000 cars of production, proving everybody wrong. It's like, you know, it, it, he continues to move the goalposts. And typically when a CEO does this, you have scrutiny, not only from investors, um, but also from potentially regulators. And I think the willingness of him to, you know, for instance, when he said he had funding secured to go private and he didn't, right? I don't think any other CEO would take the risk of saying that because there's the potential that the consequences could be severe. So I think that the reason why you have such strong bulls and bears is because I think, you know, you have a CEO who's willing to do things that maybe some others aren't willing to do and say things that others aren't willing to say that attracts a lot of you know, fans. But on the flip side, you have financial analysts who remember these things and keep him, you know, hold his feet to the fire. And when he doesn't hit him, you know, we think, oh, we got him. And, you know, he, he, he hasn't been gotten yet. Um, so I think that's why you have such the um, divergence. One other thing I'll highlight, you know, everybody says, you know, people just look at 2020 
and say that's the entire history of Tesla. That's not the truth, right? In 2018, the stock went from 400 to below 200. Keep in mind, what happened in, this stock really took off in October of 2019. Keep mm-hmm. in mind, what happened in October of 2018, 2019, the Fed did QE again. They did it via reverse repos, but they started injecting a ton of money into the market. And then the stock collapsed in March, and then it took off again when the Fed announced QE Infinity, as did a lot of speculative stocks. So it's not just Tesla. The entire market, uh, particularly the speculative stocks, right, the guys who don't make money um, uh, and, you know, don't make profits but promise you the world, like the Virgin Galactics of the world, and, you know, these, these stocks that, you know, are promising a story but not producing money, I think that had a big and a, and a lot to do with it. People credit Musk. I think they should be crediting Jerome Powell uh, with the move in these speculative stocks. The problem is, if you look at CPI, you know, inflation is ticking up. So the masses are going to pay for this. But I think that, um, you know, that's not consensus yet. But keep in mind, right, CPI in November at um, uh, 2%, plus 2% or 2.4% annualized, the street expecting it to be 0.3% or 3.6% uh, 3. annualized in December. That's a very high amount of inflation, right? The masses don't own stock. 10% of the world owns, or 10% of the U.S. guys own, you know, 89% of the U.S. stocks. So there is a price to pay. But again, I think Jerome Powell should get more credit than Elon Musk for this run-up in speculative stocks to include Tesla. All right, Gordon. Uh, Gordon, one more, one more before I let you go here. And this is just, you know, going a little bit macro here on you uh, with, with uh, you know, what you've seen happen with Alibaba. And I'm kind of torn um, you know, looking to invest in, you know, the FXI in the Chinese markets. I mean, you know, China's set to surpass the U.S. economy in 2028. That's much, much sooner than people expected. Um, you know, you look at what the U.S. market's done over the last, you know, five to 10 years, and then you look what the, the Chinese market's done or the FXI, the emerging markets. You know, is this, you know, where should people, younger investors, you know, maybe looking for, you know, maybe there's a, a global shift coming here. U.S. market could obviously keep going up. But, you know, and then I see this regulatory stuff that happens to Baba and it kind of shakes me just with, you know, you follow the stocks that you know, are affected by the, you know, the Chinese government with tariffs and everything. Could you give us, a, you know, a five to ten year outlook on the uh, Chinese index FXI versus the S&P 500? Yeah, I mean, the S&P 500 has significantly outperformed uh, the Chinese index. And I, I believe that 80 to 90 percent of that performance has nothing to do with fundamentals and has everything to do with the U.S. Fed pumping. I mean, they are literally pumping one hundred and forty billion dollars of new money, newly created money into the stock market indirectly. Right. The way it works is, you know, the, the, the banks, you know, the banks uh, effectively buy treasuries from. The Treasury Department, the Fed prints the money and then effectively, um, you know, provides that money to the Treasury. So it's indirect. But the, the point is that money goes to the banks and the banks aren't lending it out for the most part. What they're doing, the only thing they can do, interest rates are so low, the only thing they can do is buy stocks. So I think that but the problem is that's creating now real inflation. Look, the, the, the commodity index just broke out um, in the U.S. Um, so to, to answer your question, I think that Emerging markets and non-U.S. markets over the next five to 10 years are going to outperform the U.S. market because we're seeing concerning levels of inflation right now. And I don't think the Fed is really going to admit this at all because they use PCE. They hide behind PCE versus using CPI. 
right? They're telling us prices have been flat for years. I mean, just go out and look at you know, the price of a house on average in the U.S. since 2009 is up 50000 versus minimum wage being flat, right? There's been massive inflation. So I think that, yes, I think the Chinese market will outperform the U.S. market over the next five to 10 years. However, I think that where you're going to get near-term outperformance, if I had to say a one to two-year outlook, I really like the commodity stocks. I think you're going to get commodity price inflation. We've already seen it in still. I mean, we've seen it in a lot of the commodity prices. We just haven't seen it flow through the, uh, through to the earnings. And while U.S. still is up a lot, it's not up as much as, you know, the NEOs of the world or the Teslas of the world. So I think you're going to have a rotation out of growth into value. And I think even if you have that, um, you can have significant outperformance in the commodity-based stocks, the still players. Um, the equipment manufacturers, um, you know, uh, even the rail plays, um, you could have outperformance in those stocks and still the market falls as guys rotate out of, you know, tech slash growth into uh, value, uh, specifically commodities. So we really like the steel companies. You know, we, we have a buy on Cliff and X. We really like, uh, you know, FMG near term. Uh, we also like the uranium plays. We think uranium prices uh, are going to trend higher. Um, that's been a sector that's massively underperformed that we think is going to do well. So if the question is five to 10 years, we think emerging markets, um, and not that China is an emerging market, but also China do outperform the U.S. stock market as inflation becomes a problem here. But we think near term, I would be putting my money into those commodity plays versus the growth plays as we think you get a rotation trade. All right. That would be a quite quite a change in trend. Gordon Johnson, the founder of GLJ Research. Gordon, we always appreciate your time. Uh, Merry Christmas. Thanks, Gordon. We Happy- really appreciate hey guys, you coming on today. All right. Uh, Absolutely. You know, we always keep Gordon along. Uh, so it is 901 already. Wow. Time flies. Let's just do like one or two more. Can we look at Fubo here? Because we talked about this when we were prepping for the show, yeah. uh, but we didn't actually get to it over the course of the last hour. So let's talk about Fubo. It, of course, had that massive rip uh, for, uh, I guess, going back a couple of weeks now. And it is off those highs significantly in the last couple of days. Joel, why don't you pull that chart up and let, let's talk for oh, sure. a second. Uh, we were debating this one. I mean, it sure looks like it wants to get, you know, at least retrace half of that move. You know, you, you really broke out from 15, uh, what, oh, oh, 62, 63. So, you know, the, the news flow, analysts turned negative on it. You took out a double bottom. Now you're peeling back. I mean, you know, it gets to the 50. I didn't pull it up. I'm sorry. Get back to the 50% area, uh, at least for the first time. I think they're going to find buyers. I know Triple D, I don't want to sell this in the hole to you. I know you're you're wildly bullish. So I got to pick my spot a little bit better than that, you know, after it's come off 25 bucks. But I, I, I'm bullish now. Um, it got overdone. I know. And we, I know I was selling it way too early and I kept a small piece because I think the story is still intact. I think this story carries the stock as much as nobody cares about the fundamentals of Tesla. I mean, Gordon Johnson said the best. A lot of the market isn't trading on fundamentals. You know, when you analyze stuff from fundamental basis, you know, companies that don't make money shouldn't be worth anything, but you can't look at it. You got to look at it from the story perspective. One, I think the streaming story continues to be hot in 2021 Two, This is also you know, it's still got a little bit of a story with, you know, sports gambling. So, I mean, all tied into that, I think the story still remains hot. With that being said, this stock got way overdone. It got way overdone. It went from 30 to 62 in 15. four days. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So it's come back down now where, you know, this thing gets into the mid thirties. 
I might buy more. So I have a small piece left. I'm playing with forever the house's money because I just kept a small piece. I kept 20% of the position and I sold way more than I put into it because we know I originally bought this at $13 when Mitch brought it to us. So I think I'm going to hold on to the other piece. And I actually am thinking about buying more if this gets down into the mid 30s. I don't even know if it's going to get that low, though. I think it turns today. So I'm going to go out on a limb, make a call here because, um, you know, that's what people like to hear. It's down 10%. You got Rich Greenfield on C- uh, on Twitter here who um, put a $7 price target on it, analyst, and he's been talking, you know, talking it down all weekend, just how much this is a bubble and this thing's going down. And, you know, and that and that could be the case or $8 price target, I guess he put on it. And that was a big catalyst on Thursday while stocks sold off even harder. You BMO downgrading. And then you have, you know, an analyst who's very vocal on Twitter, really talking it down um, and putting an $8 price target on it. So it's getting hammered for those reasons. Is the story over, though? Ask yourself that question. I think once, I do I want to catch the falling knife? No. But I think you're going to see some stabilization here. I think today, I think you're going to put in a low. And then I'm going to lean on that low as potentially getting in for a swing trade higher. So I don't want to catch the falling knife. Uh, but I'll look at today as potentially a turning point. I think it could turn today. So, and then if I get a low where I can lean on it, where it stops going down, then, you know, I might add to the position as a swing trade. Right now, I still have a little bit in the longer-term account trying not yeah. to look at it. So I think the story remains hot. The market cap isn't, you know, insane. It's not like it's a 50 or $100 billion company. I think it's $2.5 billion. It's a small little company still relative to where some of these other speculative bubbles are. So I think the story is still intact, and that's why I think the story remains hot in 2021. And I think eventually makes new, hi- new highs again. So I'm staying on the Fubo train. Michael Pachter was on the show. He knows a hell of a lot more than me. He sounded <laughs> fairly bullish on our show as well three days ago. So I'm sticking with it. All right. Uh, definitely the pace of this selling is meeting some buyers here at the $40 area. So keep an eye on the pre-market low. I've uh, It's over. As much as it was overbought, Joel, it's probably oversold now three days later. It just got cut in half, like, basically from 62 down you know so an actual half i guess would be lower than that but it's got to cut down you know pretty substantially here a 22 point fall on a 62 dollar stock in three sure. days so i think it was overbought it's given it all back it's probably oversold i think you're going to find some support here as you get into the 30s i think you could even bottom here in the 40 area so we're trying we'll see what happens it's a storied stock it's going to be carried by people's opinions that is the only thing driving it right now because this one's disconnected from fundamentals too. But this opinions and story can carry the stock a long ways. You also have analysts like Michael Pachter and other analysts that you know might be looking at this as you know maybe this is the chance for me to raise my price target. So as much as you've had some negative analyst action the last couple of days, I think there's a few analysts hiding in the weeds here that could actually get bullish on this story. That's true. Too. That's something you like to look at. And then, yeah. So the volume, you know, uh, monster volume on the day that it peaked and then you know, it's sold off. So, you know, maybe wait for it to, you know, stabilize, maybe wait for the volume to come down a little bit, get all the sellers, you know, all the weak hands out of there, get a double bottom or something to re- you know, to lean on. Uh, but I'd be more interested in the mid 38s here. That's halfway back on the move, but starting to show a little, little stability here, just around a nice round $40 area. Spencer, you want to wrap things up on this, uh, Matic Monday here. I do. I know there's a lot we didn't get to. I wrote a few tickers down. Uh, we'll cover them at the 340 broadcast. I know we didn't cover any SPACs, but they're going to talk about 11 new SPACs today on SPACs attack, 11 a.m. Eastern time right here 
on youtube.com slash Benzinga TV. Here is our disclaimer to remind all of you that all the information from this show and all of our shows are meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Thanks to our guest today, Gordon Johnson. Thanks to all of you in our chat. There's the, the chat on YouTube, of course, the chat on Benzinga.com and the chat on Benzinga Pro. We appreciate all the comments, all the likes, all the super chats. Let's see if we can get up to 300, 400 likes. I'm surprised we didn't get more dislikes today. Oh, we had a lot of people that, hating on that Gordon. That was fired up. Yeah. They, they were fired up hating on Gordon. You know, and this is, you know, something I value Gordon's opinion. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. He's obviously been wrong on Tesla for a long time. But to say he's uninformed, to say he doesn't do his research, he does more research than anyone. I mean, the stuff he was saying is way more research than I've done on Tesla, way more research than the majority of people who own Tesla stock has. Um, it's, is it completely disconnected from fundamentals? It's been completely disconnected for a long time. So just because you don't agree with his opinion, you don't have to agree with his opinion, you can buy the stock. But to, to just say he's uninformed, he's not uninformed. He's looking at it from a fundamental basis and doing more research than 99.9% of people who own Tesla. Yeah, also, not joking. Also, he's very you, informed. You should want to hear someone who disagrees with you. Like if you're bearish, yeah, there you go. If you're yeah, bearish, should. you should want to hear a ball. If you're bullish, you should want to hear a bear. It can give you a new perspective and try to cover any blind spots that you may have on a thesis or whatever. So I always like hearing people that I disagree with on stocks or, or sure. in general because it, it gives me a new way to think about things. So This is why we have a market. If we had all bulls on Tesla, there would be no sellers. I mean, you know, this is you know why we have a market. So you've got to have a buyer and a seller. So whenever you buy a stock, Somebody else in the whole world has the opposite opinion because they are selling you that stock. Think about that. There is always some, whenever you say, I think the stock is going higher, somebody else thinks it's going lower or they would not sell it to you. So this is why we have a market. This is what the beautiful thing of the markets are. So it's Tesla. My opinion on Tesla, I agree with everything Gordon, a lot of things that he says. I think the stock's going higher just from technical reasons though. Because it's not selling off. It's up here again. I said it on Thursday that, and everybody gave me heat. I got heat for saying when it's 642, I said, it's not going down. It should have went down. It's not responding well. And I think it's going higher. And you, you know, everybody's getting 650 was a big line in the sand. I got on board with that. I said, if it got above 650, I think it's going to challenge the 695. Well, look at what it's doing. It got above 650. It's 675. So here I am fundamentally bearish tesla long-term bearish tesla but putting a bullish case out i put a bullish case out on thursday if you listen to the show i just technically this stock is not breaking so you can be bearish something long term and still buy it you just got to be obviously close and you know if the theme changes you've got to get out but you don't have to be short all the stocks you're bearish and long all the stocks you're bullish as a trader i go both ways all the time if the technicals are telling me to buy something if it's not selling off after getting added to the S&P 500, and obviously, you know, we thought that would be a topping event, and it was not, it was turning. You could see the turn happening. The buyers were emerging again. This looks like it's challenging the 695, and this could go to 700 again. So I'm going to stay in the bull camp on Tesla right now, despite agreeing with a lot of what Gordon Johnson said. All right. So Tesla to 10,000 confirmed. That'll be it for us, everyone. <laughs> Overtime. I'm only half joking. Um, everyone have a good rest of your day. Like I said, Joel and I will be back at 3.40 p.m. Eastern time. Tunes us back to attack at 11 o'clock. Everyone have a good 
rest of your day. Good luck in your trades, and we'll talk to you later. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.